You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Uh, so this, this message comes from, uh, if you're a Chi Alpha student, you already heard it, um, and I, I, I want to share it again because it comes out of uh, something we got to experience when we took a missions trip to Southern Asia this last spring. There was 14 of us on this trip, 12 students, myself and Alejandra, and we had a ton of fun traveling to the other side of the world. And there was a lot of experiences and different things we got to encounter, but one thing that was shocking, and it's ability to add intensity to a situation was encounters with the the local wildlife. And that day with JJ, we were in this city that was just, man, it was heavy. It was, it was hard to be there because like I had mentioned, we were seeing thousands and thousands of people that they're, they're, they're pilgrimage from all over the nation, this nation, hundreds of millions of people to this place. And their vendors would try to scam these pilgrims by upcharging very basic things, kind of like they do sometimes at Jack Trice, right? They would, they would, they would upcharge these things and these people would go and they would buy these little trinkets and little sacrifices and offer them to the river or offer them to the gods. They'd go see these big idols that are like wild looking, just again, it, it is hard to understand understand unless you've actually been there. I, I didn't get it until I was there. And we're walking around and we get closer to this place of worship after we left, left the idol place and after JJ got attacked by the monkey. And we get closer and you see the thousands of people swarming around this place of worship. And as I was approaching it and, and just feeling the environment, feeling the heavy, thick air, feeling the heat, like just everything was oppressive, not only to my cultural sensibilities, right? Because I'm raised, I'm a Midwest boy through and through. Like I know where I'm from. This is my culture. These are my people in the Midwest. And so being there was just hard. It was hard to understand. But then as a follower of Jesus, as one person who chooses to, to follow the one true living God, which matters when you're in that country, saying that you follow the one true living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it was uncomfortable. Because I saw this form of worship that was, it was in, in my mind, it was so tragic. It was so heartbreaking because these people who had nothing were giving so much to these gods so that they could have the gods be appeased and relent in their anger just for a moment. It was heartbreaking. And as I was seeing these, this massive humanity of these people swarming the river and re- recognizing this is only a drop in the bucket. This is a tiny little fraction of what, uh, how many people here, excuse me, <clears throat> of how many people are, are caught up in this mess. My heart began to break. And I began to ask the Lord, okay, what, what do you want to do? Like, how, how is this possible? I know we want these people to come to know Jesus, but can this be done? How, what's, what's, the, what's, the, what's the method here, Lord? What's the plan of attack? Because we, in this place, you, it's hostile to the gospel. You can't do a VBS. You can't have summer Bible camps. You can't have an outreach with a, a big, large worship service and someone proclaiming the gospel. That doesn't work. So what's the plan, Lord? And as I was walking through and praying and asking God, I felt like he dropped this simple phrase in my heart, which we'll go to because it, it was from scripture. I heard the Lord say, I am the seed that died for them that will produce a harvest. I am the seed that died for them that will produce a harvest. And after I, I heard, heard that in my mind, I, I didn't know exactly where that was in scripture, but I knew that was a verse. And so we got back to our car after, after seeing all these things. And I began to open up my Bible and look, okay, where is this at? And, and what is Jesus saying here? And it was brought to John chapter 12, verse 20 through 26. And we're going to spend our time there this morning as we look at what Jesus is saying regarding a seed or a kernel of wheat and a harvest. And so as I was, as I was looking at this, I was understanding the context 
a little bit more that I want to share with you. So John chapter 12, verse 20, this, this timeline, this, this like snapshot in Jesus' ministry is a point where Jesus, in his, he's in the heyday of his ministry. He had just raised Lazarus from the dead not too long, uh, too much earlier. So there was this buzz around Jesus. That was a, Jesus come, or Lazarus coming back from the dead was a messianic prophecy fulfilled, right? Jesus was saying, hey, I'm here. I am the one sent from God. And so people were beginning to become very, very curious about Jesus. And so in the midst of this, of this heyday, which is nearing the end of Jesus' ministry here on earth, we pick up this story in John chapter 12, verse 20, and I'm going to read through 24 right now. It says this, it'll be on the screen, and I'm uh, reading it in the NLT just for simplicity's sake. It says this, some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. And they said, sir, we want to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. And Jesus replied, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. So these Greeks, these people who, uh, from what we, there's a little bit of debate about this, but majority opinion says these are firmly Gentiles. These are people that are from roughly, assumed from the region of Galilee, which is where Philip is from. So there's some sort of prior relationship there. They come to Philip because they're there um, on some sort of, they might, even, they might even be religious. We don't know that for sure, but we know they're Greeks and they're there and they, they see Philip and they said, Philip, hey, can you take us to Jesus? And that's kind of Philip's thing. He just takes people to Jesus all the time. He becomes an evangelist later on, as people call him. And Philip turns to Andrew and begins to ask Andrew, hey, should we, should we bring this to Jesus? Because Greeks, these Gentiles, they are not Jesus' primary purpose while he was here on the earth. When he came, it was initially for the Jews. That was his first priority, was for the Jewish people, for the people of the ethnic Jewish heritage. That's what he was there for. And so these Greeks, they really didn't fit the paradigm quite yet of what Jesus was there to do. And so they decide, okay, well, let's go talk to Jesus anyways. So they go to Jesus, and he gives this reply, which almost seems like he's speaking past them. It almost seems like he's not answering their question. But I feel like if you look a little bit deeper, we actually can see that Jesus is answering their question very clearly. In verse 23, Jesus says, now the time has come. This isn't replying to Philip and Andrew who are asking if the Greeks can come see him. He says, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. So there's two things here that we can see about what Jesus is saying. First is this is a very, very significant foreshadowing of what's to come. This is John chapter 12 and John chapter 19. Jesus is going to be crucified, betrayed, crucified in John chapter 20. He's going to come back to life. Okay, there's, there's, Jesus knows where he's headed. And so he's saying there's going to be a time that, that's coming. In fact, it's almost here right now that I'm, I'm going to enter into my glory. I'm going to die. I'm going to resurrect. And I'm going to ascend into heaven. I'm going to be in my glory. But inside the context of this discussion with Jews and Gentiles, there's another meaning here that many scholars believe exists. And it's this, though Jesus came just for the Jews initially, Jesus knew that the plan of salvation was going to be expanded for all peoples, including these Greeks. And so he's saying, not only will the Jews give me glory, but also the Greeks, also all of these people that are outside of the ethnic heritage of, of, of Jerusalem, of, of the nation of Israel. This was Jesus' plan, knowing that there's going to be time where those people give them glory to you. And this is good news for us. Right? Unless you have an awesome story that I need to hear about, we're probably mostly Jews, or non-Jews in this room, we're probably mostly Gentiles. 
And so this next verse, verse 24, about the seed being planted is in the context and the discussion around peoples who are far off from God. And so this is good news because we are going to be brought into this plan of salvation for those, for, for, to the plan of salvation, not only for the Jews, but for those who are far off. And this is good news for us, your names, good news for those in Southern Asia, good news for the Greeks that are asking this question. And then Jesus goes on and he says how it's going to happen. Verse 24, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat, or verily, verily, or truly, truly, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce a harvest, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Jesus saying, and this is very simple, so many of you probably already know this. Jesus saying, I am going to be like a seed who is going to be buried in the earth, to be cast to the earth, to be planted, so there can be a harvest of new life. This is the plan for salvation. This is the plan for salvation for you and I, for those in Southern Asia caught up in false religions, worshiping false gods and spiritual enslavement. This is the plan of salvation for the Jews and for the Greeks. This is really good news. I mean, man, we cannot move past the simplicity and the beauty of Jesus choosing to be cast to the earth. The son of God, the one who is God incarnate, was cast to the earth and chose to die. He planted his life like a seed into the soil. He knows where he's going. John 19 is coming. He sees the crucifixion and he sees the tomb. Um, Jesus is the seed that's going to be planted. He's going to die so that we can all have new life. That is the plan of salvation. But then the, then the, the scripture, the chunk of scripture, the context keeps on going. And it, the subject matter changes from us, or from Jesus to us. In verse 25, thank you, kids. In verse 25, it says this, it goes on. It says, those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for the life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. So Jesus starts by talking about the Son of Man entering the glory in the context of, of Greeks. Then he talks about farming in this parable about his life being planted in the sea. And then he moves to us, he moves to his disciples. And he's saying, hey, if you want to find life, you're going to have to lose it. And if you want to, if, and if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. This is paradox of the kingdom. Thank you. This is much quieter now. It's a paradox of the kingdom. And then he says, my followers, if they want to be my servant, they must follow me to where I am going, to where I am. They must follow me to where I am. Guys, where is Jesus going? He's going to the cross and he's going to the tomb. Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to follow me, if you want to be a servant of Christ, you must follow me anywhere, even to the grave itself. This is, we know, many of you know this, you've been in church for a long time, you know this passage, you know that we must pick up our cross daily and follow Jesus, we get this. But understanding the context of 25, 26 sheds a new meaning on verse 24. Because yes, Jesus is saying, hey, I am a seed, I'm like a kernel of wheat being planted in the ground and dying so there's a harvest of new life, your life, many new kernels. But Jesus is also saying here, he's actually kickstarting a process, a cycle of, of people being buried so there can be a harvest of new life. 
Because not only is Jesus saying his life is a seed, but what happens for those of us who are the product of that seed the first time it was put down? That harvest is next season's planting. That harvest is next season's seed. Jesus's fruit in our life, our life, which is now this product of Jesus's beautiful death and sacrifice on the cross, we now are a kernel of wheat, and now we have the opportunity and the option to follow Jesus' example. Will we too follow Jesus to the grave? Will we too allow our lives to be planted, to be cast into the earth and to die so that there may be a harvest of new life, of many new kernels? It's this beautiful cycle that Jesus introduces to us. It's amazing. But catch what it says in verse 24. See, we have this option, this opportunity. We can choose to let our life be cast into the earth. But what happens if we don't? What happens if we choose not to let our life be planted in the earth, to invest our life in the way that Jesus calls us to by following him, dying to ourselves? What happens? What happens to that seed? It remains alone. It does not reproduce. It will not replicate. There is no harvest. So that's saying, if we choose to not lay down our lives, there will be no harvest of new life in our life. There will be no no new kernels coming from our life. We stop the cycle. We interrupt what's happening that Jesus has set up. This beautiful picture of us choosing to die to our lives, lay it down before Jesus so that there can be a harvest of new life, not only in our life, but in other people's lives as well. When we choose not to follow Jesus to the grave, There is a process, a divine, beautiful process of sowing and reaping that's completely interrupted. And guess what? The work of God that is in you and I, if we choose not to lay it and bury it again, it dies with us and it does not replicate. Why else is the world not yet evangelized? Why else is Iowa State still have people that don't know Jesus? Because people, you and I, at varying degrees, have chosen not to lay down our life. We've interrupted this amazing cycle. We've chosen to not follow Jesus to the grave. We've decided that we're not gonna let our lives be buried into the earth. And you know what? You and I, we're, we're remember, Jesus is the key, he's the one who kickstarts this process. He's the very first seed. He's the most important seed. Right? He's the one who allows it to, you know, have to even happen. But you and I, we're products of people who've allowed their lives to be buried into the earth. Maybe you, from, you come from a, a, a good family, a good parents. And you're like, well, I didn't, you know, there was no missionary that came to me. Your parents, if they love Jesus, there was a death in raising you to teach you to love Jesus. There was a laying down of their own priorities. There was a laying down of their own plans and purposes so that you could have life. Now, maybe you didn't come from a good home and you said you, you came off the street. Maybe you're here this morning and someone invited you. There was a risk that someone took. There was a laying down of, maybe they didn't want to invite you to church. Maybe they didn't want to tell you about Jesus, but they knew they were driven by love because there was something better. There actually could be new life being brought about in your life as they chose to take the risk to look foolish, to be ridiculed, and to have their dignity be completely crushed. We are all products of other people choosing to lay down their lives. And so the question is, is will we do the same? Will we do the same? And I, I, I submit this to you humbly. Again, I submit this to you in, in the context, one, that I have not done this well. There, this is why the Lord convicted me of it while I was in India, while I was there. This is why the Lord chose to speak this to me, because I wasn't doing it well at all. 
But there's an option here for every one of us. And also submitted to you in, this, in, the, in the context of joy, in the context of love. None of this is possible or feasible or fun if we're not driven by love. Jesus, it says that in, in the book of Hebrews, that it was the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. Jesus, with love in his eyes, took the beatings and was willingly buried in the ground. It was love that drove him there. And love should drive us there too. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. There's a story of a young couple from a college just south of, of Chicago. They, they met there in the 1950s. And in that, in that context, um, they had encountered Jesus, and they both came from pretty well-to-do families, ministry families. And they, they being, you know, the fact that they went to college in the 1950s said that they were of privilege, that there, there was, there, they had a good upbringing, a good background. And while they were in college, they fell in love, they eventually got married, and they chose uh, in, in, their, in their new marriage, in their new life, to lay down their lives to leave the United States and go to serve in the jungles of the Amazon in the nation of Ecuador. And there, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, they decided to pick up their lives, move to these jungles, and they learned how to do ministry amongst these missionaries that were there. They learned how to translate the Bible from the English to the local language, and they were there for years learning how to do this. And while they were there, they, they heard about a, tri a tribe that was further into the jungle, a tribe that was hostile, a tribe that had not yet been contacted. And while they were there, they, their heart began to break with love for these people. They had not yet received Jesus. No one had yet gone with the good news. And so, Jim Elliott and a couple of his friends, they decided to load up their plane, and they began to drop gifts over the side of the plane, over the area where these people were living. Like little, little presents, little mementos, little tokens of, of goodwill, demonstrating, hey, we want to have a good relationship with you. And they, they, they worked at this over a period of months, and eventually they built a base uh, not too far from where the, the tribe was living. And they eventually began to, 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 to give them more gifts, and there was even some small interactions with these tribesmen. And one they had such a, such a good interaction with, they named him George because they didn't know the language or his name. They brought him up in their airplane, which is crazy. And uncontacted people, one of them gets to go up in the airplane. So they were excited. Progress was being made. They were far from their homes. They had even left their families in the other camp further away. And there they were making progress. And so they went back to their families in the other camp and they loaded up supplies and they were going to go make a big push. They wanted to contact this tribe firmly. And so they landed back at this newly constructed base. And there they radioed back to their wives and their children saying, hey, we're, we're here and we're going to go. We're going to make contact. And so as they made their way across the river, the situation wasn't what they encountered before. See, instead of being met with handshakes and smiles and hugs and people like eagerly curious about what's going on, who are these people, are they going to bring us good stuff? Instead, they were met with 10 hostile warriors. And quickly, things went sideways. And all five of those men ended up with spears in their chests, and they found their bodies a few days later, later floating downstream. Leaving behind children and widows. It's a tragic story. And Elizabeth Elliot, being Jim Elliot's wife, was freshly widowed and had a 10-month-old daughter. And so... There was a decision before, should she go back? I mean, that would be the reasonable thing. That would be the rational thing. I think that's what I would personally encourage all of you to do. Would you go back to home 
and try to reestablish your life, or would she stay? So Elizabeth Elliot chose to stay. And there, within a few weeks of her husband dying, two women came from the tribe that just killed her husband. They made their way into her camp, and they brought them in. Elizabeth Elliot befriended them. She began to have a relationship with them. She learned their language. And over the course of years, she became pretty fluent in the language, to a point where those two women left to go back to their tribe to make a way for Elizabeth Elliot to go. And so a little short time later, Elizabeth Elliot packed up her things, brought her now toddler daughter with her, and they moved into the tribe, into the village of the very people that had killed their husband just a few years earlier. And there she labored for years. And many people came to know Jesus. There was a great harvest of new life amongst those tribes people. And her husband, Jim Elliot, and the four other men who had spears in their chest, their lives were literally laid down. They were cast to the earth and died so there could be a harvest of many new kernels of much new life. Again, it wasn't valor or, or, or this desire to do something risky. It was love that drove them there. Love of Jesus and love of these people. Now, I don't share that story so that we can go find people in Ames, Iowa, waving around spears. Um, don't do that. Don't, don't hang out with those kind of people that have spears living in Iowa. They probably need help. Um, but what I am saying is there is a form of laying down our life that will bring about, this is the pattern of scripture, this is the anecdota pattern we see across the lives of people around us and in Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. As we lay down our lives, there is fruit and there's a harvest to come. As we choose to bury our lives, to say no to our priorities, there is a harvest of new life to come. This is, this is the way of the kingdom. This is the ways that Jesus set it up. And as I think about the kinds of people that have done that, I think of many of you. There are great saints in our church that have chosen to sow their lives into the earth, humbling themselves, giving up their priorities. I think of people like JF and Kathy Krauss, who after JF freshly encountered Jesus, moved to Columbia, where there he delivered his own child, which, way to go, Kathy. Uh, this is the most amazing story. I tell all the college students about it. Delivered his own child without a doctor. And then they eventually came back here. They, they spearhead short-term missions. They have a heart for missions. They've been a part of the board for years, the missions board, giving out money and being generous to missionaries who come with needs. But JF, I don't, honestly, if you guys don't know this, this is the most amazing part. JF, every Sunday afternoon, while we're napping, while we're, while we're hanging out, while we're eating supper, while we're maybe getting some things done around the house, do you know where he spends his Sunday afternoons? At the nursing home. Pastoring, preaching, sharing the gospel with, loving these people that are often forgotten and left out of our society at large. They're experiencing life. They have a chance to experience more of Jesus because JF is choosing and Kathy is choosing to lay down their lives. I think of people like Justin Maines. I don't know if Justin's here this morning. Who, I remember my freshman year, he was a freshman in agriculture engineering. We actually lived right next door to each other. It was crazy. It was random that happened uh, in Maple Hall. And that summer, after his freshman year, instead of getting an agricultural engineering internship, instead of going home to his family and making a lot of money, Justin decided to do something unique. He decided to go to a place called Wildwood Ranch, where there he served for very little pay and gave up his whole summer Young, young, young teenagers and children who come from very underprivileged backgrounds and broken homes so they can have a chance of hearing about Jesus and having a good week of their summer. J Justin laid down a part of his life so other people could have new life. I think of people 
like Rhonda Morrison, who, she's, she's amazing, you haven't met her yet. I got to talk to her a little bit on the phone this last week. Uh, she works full-time, she gives her full-time uh, allotment of time each week to serving a clinic called Obria, which is a pro-life women's clinic that ministers to young women who are unsure what to do with their pregnancies. And so what Rhonda does week in and week out is raises money so that ministry and that, uh, that, that sort of uh, love and resources can be in place for those women to come and receive what they need. And on top of that, Rhonda also, she takes in young women. She opens up her actual, I mean, think about that. She has, an, she has a place in her home. She says, hey, you come live here. Like if you have a traumatic background, if you have, you, have, you have issues you're working through your life, come be a part of my home. She opens up her home, young women. I think of people like Kim and Diane Combs, who for decades have fostered young boys, young teenage boys, taking the rejects of the foster system, those who are often hardest to hold in your own homes, and spending time and giving up of their lives and of their own home so that these young boys could have a chance at experiencing new life. When I was talking to Combs about it, he's, or Kim about it, he said that they've actually been able to adopt five of those sons. Praise God. There's been a harvest of new life as Kim and Diane have laid down their very lives so other people could have new life. And so the decision sits before you and I. Will we be like, like Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, like these great saints I just mentioned? I know there's many more of you that I didn't get to, so I, I understand that. But will we be people who love our life too much who love our bank accounts too much to be generous, who love our time too much to give it to other people, who love our homes too much to not let people in and choose to let the work of God remain alone? Or will we be like a kernel of wheat that chooses to be cast to the earth, to die, so there can be a harvest of new life? As I was in Southern Asia, and, and the Lord was speaking this to me, and it was like coming alive in a way that it hadn't yet before. I felt like the Lord gave me a very clear call. And I think this is this was unique to me, but I do think it's, it's also applicable to all of us. And I want to extend it to you this morning. And I felt like the Lord told me, Alex, are you willing to draw a line in the sand? Are you willing to make a very clear decision? to cast your life to the earth, to give up your priorities, and to choose to die to yourself. Will you do that? It was a very clear call, and I, I by God's grace, was able to say yes, and I'm still trying to iron this out with fear and trembling and what it looks like. But Jesus is gracious enough to give us the love. He's gracious enough to give us the courage. He's gracious enough to give us the opportunities to know how and when to lay our lives down for him and for other people. So this morning, I want to give you the same opportunity. Will you, as my friends, as my part of my spiritual family, be willing to draw the line in the sand and say, yes, I will bury my life into the earth. And so in a second, I want, us to, call, I want to call us to a response to that. Before I do, I do want to create an opportunity for anyone in here who this might be just all new to you, and you have yet to give your life to Jesus. The good news of Jesus is that he chose to give up his life like a kernel of wheat. He chose to give up himself, God in flesh, chose with love in his eyes to bury his life in the earth, to undergo a death 
on the cross so that the sins, your sins and my sins, could be put upon his back and so that the, tor- the, the, the very wrath of God could be put upon his shoulders so that you and I wouldn't have to take it, but instead we could be a part of the harvest of new life. And what Jesus says to respond to that is to confess him as Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the grave. And that confessing of Lord is a part of us laying down our life, saying we're not Lord of our own lives anymore, we're not the master of our own lives anymore. We, choose, we in fact want to choose to surrender it. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.